Everyone crowded toward the half-mutilated hill. Art could see down into the huge ditch where the tall man, wearing a yellow hard hat with a bright light attached, was now using his hands to clear dirt and break roots away from what looked like a curved piece of rusty metal barely sticking out of the ground. Everything seemed to stop as the muffled sound of the man's voice called out. It was clear then where the voice had been coming from. The worker picked up his shovel and dug around the metal. Several others had dropped their shovels and moved to help. Within several minutes, they had burrowed around the thing about three feet down. After clearing off more dirt with their hands, the thing was beginning to take shape. Whatever it was, it was large, rusty, and silver. Within an hour, they had the object excavated from the hill. About eight feet long, it curved on both ends like a double-sided bullet. What wasn't covered in rust was a dull silver and featureless. It took several men to set it sideways on the ground, while others tried to speak soothingly to the man inside, despite his frantic screams resonating through the metal. At the sound of their voices, the man only responded with strange, frightened moans. Eventually, they managed to lead the man over toward one side of the object, while a stout firefighter cut open the other side with a blowtorch. When the last of the cylinder came free, and the curved metal fell to the ground, a stale odor crept up from inside. Another worker shined his flashlight in the opening, and the man inside screamed, his voice hoarse and high-pitched, while the volunteer next to him got down on hands and knees and crawled inside to bring the man out. The man emerged naked, shielding his face against the floodlights. When he was free of the strange metal tube, several rescue workers carried him away from the scene, wrapped in a plain gray fire blanket. He was covered in dirt from head to toe, his hair and beard reaching nearly down to his waist. The hair on his head appeared to be brown, though it was hard to tell through all the debris, but those bright blue eyes were unmistakable. Two paramedics placed him on a stretcher, put him in an ambulance, and drove off, sirens blaring. The reporter and the cameraman followed close behind. Art stood leaning against that same tree, watching Hadley and his deputies study the area inside the hole and the object for a long while before he decided it was time to go home. That night, Art watched the ten o'clock news for the first time in seventeen years. He didn't learn much he hadn't already known. They would likely keep the man in the hospital a while. His muscles had atrophied, and he'd so far not shown any signs of intelligible speech. The next day, when Art took Ginger for her morning walk, she passed right by Dead Man's Hill without a sound. Art, however, couldn't help but linger. He watched as Hadley and his deputies pointed out different details of the hole and the object to several men in black suits. Art usually wasn't the curious type, but what had happened was too strange, almost impossible, and yet it had happened. At one point Hadley noticed the old man and his dog and waved nervously at them. Art waved back, a gesture of indifference, and continued on. He couldn't help but wonder who it was they had found in that hill. 
It nagged at him more than he thought it should. When the two got back home, Art dug around in the mess on the dining room table, looking for the phone book. He flipped through the thin white pages until he found what he was looking for, and then picked up the phone and dialed. Madison County Hospital, how can I direct your call? I'm calling for information uh, about the man they found in Dead Man's Hill last night. I'm sorry, sir, but we're not allowed to release information about a patient to anyone over the phone. I think I might know who he is. I saw his face on the news, and it looks an awful lot like my brother, Charlie. Went missing almost ten years back. 